0: Would, I'd like for you to turn in your Bibles first of all with me to the very beginning of your Bibles to the fourth chapter of the book of Genesis. The fourth chapter of the book of Genesis there I want to read in our hearing verses 1 through 13 and then we'll turn over to Hebrews chapter 12. But I urge you to follow me in your own Bibles as I read from these two portions of God's word which are going to set the framework for our meditation in God's word today. And again, the first is found here in the book of Genesis, chapter 4. Here are verses 1 through 13. Now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, and said, I have gotten a man from the Lord. Then she bore again, this time his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. And in the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. Abel also brought of the firstlings of his flock and of their fat, and the Lord respected Abel and his offering. But he did not respect Cain and his offering. And Cain was very angry, and his countenance fell, so the Lord said to Cain, "Why are you angry, And why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, if you do not well, sin lies or literally couches at the door, and its desire is for you, but you should rule over it." Now Cain talked with Abel his brother and it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain arose against Abel his brother and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain Where is Abel your brother? And he said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And God said, What have you done? The voice of your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. So now you're cursed from the earth, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you till the ground, it shall no longer yield its fruit to you. A fugitive and a vagabond you shall be on the earth. And Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is greater than I can bear. Now over the chapter 12 of the book of Hebrews and in this marvelous section in which the writer of Hebrews is contrasting that to which the people of God now come in the new covenant uh, with that to which God's ancient people came in the circumstances of ratifying the old covenant, he says in verse 18 of Hebrews chapter 12, for you have not come. And then he mentions many of the circumstances you'll notice surrounding the ratification of the old covenant. And then in the transition, verse 22, but you have come. And then you'll notice he lists according to the reckoning of whether or not one or two of these things are joined or possibly eight things to which we come to in the new covenant. And the verb translated there, you have come carries right down to our pickup reading at verse 24. But you have come to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaks better things than that of Abel. Blood that speaks. All flesh is as grass and all the glory of man as the as the grass, the grass withers and the flower thereof falls away, but the word of our Lord abides forever. Let's seek the Lord in prayer and ask his blessing upon the ministry of the word. Our Father, I pray that you would be with us now as we would open your word and as we would hear it preached. And I pray, oh Father, that you would be with your servant, Father, that you would be pleased to neutralize all of my infirmities and weaknesses. Indeed, Father, in many ways, in F, even to minister your word. So, Father, I pray that you would make me as a tool in your hand to be a blessing this afternoon to these, your dear people. Father, thank you for your word. And I pray, Father, that it might be edified to the benefit of all of our souls we ask through jesus christ our lord amen now i would suggest in the very beginning that this is strange language blood that speaks now we have heard of blood that has soaked a man's garment blood splattered upon walls or concrete in gang style murders and such but here we have something i would suggest that is Utterly unique. It is blood that speaks. Blood has a voice. Blood that speaks to God and blood that speaks to man. I want you to consider with me, first of all, Abel's blood speaking, and then secondly, we'll consider the blood of Christ speaking. And under those two simple headings, I want to ask three very simple, straightforward questions. So first of all, Abel's blood that speaks, verse 24 of Hebrews 12. But you have come to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaks better things than that of Abel. It speaks better things, but Abel's blood still speaks. So question number one. What was the blood of Abel? Now, apart from it being physical uh, blood that was drained from him by his brother's murder of him, what was the blood of Abel? Well, according to the passage which we read over in Genesis chapter 4, it was the blood of an unjustly, brutally murdered, innocent man. Abel had done nothing whatsoever to provoke his brother Cain. He did not taunt him. He did not defraud him. He had not stolen from him. He had done nothing even to provoke a frown from his brother, let alone being slain in cold blood. According to the scriptures, and particularly according to Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 4, This man Abel was not only innocent of any specific provocation of his brother, but he was a righteous, believing man. We would say in our day he was a godly Christian man. By faith, he that is Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than his brother Cain. And he is called in the verse in First John 3 and verse 12, though he is not named there, obviously being referred to there as a man whose works were righteous. That is, he lived a life of practical godliness in the presence of God and men. But for all of that, he was but a man. He was a son of Adam and Eve and a brother to the man who slew him? So, in answer to the question, What was the blood of Abel? the scripture is clear it was the blood of an unjustly, brutally murdered, righteous, believing man, son of Adam and Eve, and brother to Cain. Question number two What is the message of Abel's blood? If Abel's blood speaks, what is the message? that it speaks. Well when we turn to Genesis chapter four, the answer to that question question is clear, for God himself both hears and interprets the message that Abel's blood speaks. When God comes to the scene as the heavenly inquisitor in Genesis four and verse ten, he speaks to Cain and he says to Cain, What have you done? what have you done? And it comes on this inquisition because why? Because God has heard a voice. God indicates he has heard a voice. And the voice he has heard is not the voice of the corpse of Abel, but of the voice of the blood that having been shed has left Abel a corpse. So what have you done? He says, the voice of your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. And the message of Abel's blood was nothing more or less than this. I cried to God for vengeance, for retribution, and for judgment. That's the message of the voice of the blood of Abel. Question number three. What was the effect of the message of the blood of Abel? Well, according to verse 11 and verse 14, the effect of that message is that God does indeed bring judgment in terms of retribution and vengeance. These words come from the mouth of God, verse 11. So now you're cursed. You see, a curse is pronounced upon the man came, and then he is banished, you'll notice, from the special presence of God laden with his guilt. You are cursed. And then in verse 12 of Genesis chapter 4, God says, a fugitive and a vagabond you shall be on the earth. Verse 16, then Cain went out from the presence of the Lord. So the voice of Abel's blood spoke. It spoke eloquently, powerfully, and persuasively in the ear of Almighty God. And it spoke efficaciously. And the effect of its voice was that it brought a curse and a banishment to Cain, the murderer. Abel's blood speaks. So what was the blood of Abel? We've answered that question. What was the message of Abel's blood? What was the effect of that message? Now I want to ask the same three questions of the blood of Christ that speaks. When we read in Hebrews chapter 12 that we have come to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant and to the blood of sprinkling that speaks. And in this blood that speaks, it is a present participle in the greek which means it continues to speak it's not something that spoke once and never speaks again but it is a it is the voice of blood that continues to speak even to our present day and then that key word in the book of hebrews we read of better that's a key word in the book of hebrews you read the book of hebrews and you find out that the word Better is indeed key in that book. And I won't say any more than that. And in this form and its sister form, this verb is used some 13 times in the book of Hebrews. Or or rather this, this adjective, the word better. And of the better sacrifice and the better covenant and the better priesthood and the better inheritance. All of these betters are found in the book of Hebrews. And here is a voice that speaks better than that of Abel. So then, question number one of Christ's blood that speaks. What is his blood? Well, we discovered reading scripture that the blood of Abel was the blood of an unjustly, brutally murdered, innocent, righteous, believing man. Well, at that point, there is a strict parallel, is there not? I mean, the blood of Christ was also the blood of an unjustly, brutally murdered, righteous, innocent man. But there the parallel stops, for the Lord Jesus Christ was more than righteous by faith. He himself was the sinless, incarnate Son of the living God. In this very epistle, he is called the one who is, who is holy, harmless, undefiled, and separate from sinners who has become higher than the heavens moreover he was not murdered as a private person but in this text we're told that we come to jesus the mediator of the new covenant and to the blood of sprinkling that speaks you see abel was murdered as a private person that is in his murder, he sustained no unique relationship other than those natural blood ties to his mother and father and to his brother Cain. But when Jesus' blood was shed, and all the pristine innocence of his person, it was not blood that was shed as a private person, but in his official capacity as mediator of the new covenant, that is an arrangement instituted by God for the intervention of grace and pardon for sinners in which Jesus stands as the party between the offended deity on the one hand and the offending creature man on the other. We read in First Timothy chapter 2 and verse 5, for there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. So when we ask the question, what is his blood? It is not merely the blood of one unjustly, brutally murdered in an innocence that goes far beyond that of Abel's innocence, but he was slain in his capacity As the go-between, as the mediator, or as the old version puts it in Job, as a daysman, a go-between God and man, effecting, administering, ratifying, bringing into being a new covenant. Hence, his blood is called the blood of sprinkling. Now, what in the world does that mean? Well, if you just turn back in Hebrews chapter 9, I believe you'll see at least in principle the answer. Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 18. And there we read, Therefore not even the first covenant was dedicated without blood. For when Moses had spoken every precept to all the people, according to the law, he took the blood of calves and goats, with water, scarlet wool, and hyssop, and sprinkled both the book itself and all the people, saying, This is the blood of the covenant which God has commanded you. When that blood was sprinkled upon the book that contained the terms of the covenant, upon which the people were entering into covenant, the blood of sprinkling, it binds God officially officially to his people in covenant engagement. It binds God to his people specifically in covenant engagement. They're bound together and it binds them to God in covenant commitment as well. And it gives them the right of access into the very presence of God. It gives them the right of participation. In the institutions of God to be considered part of the covenant, to be considered a part of the covenant nation of God. And so when we ask the question concerning Christ's blood speaking, what is his blood? It is more than the blood of one unjustly, brutally murdered man. It is not only the blood of the innocent, pure Son of God, but it is his blood shed in his capacity as the daysman, as the go-between, between the offended deity and man, the offending sinner. But it is the blood of sprinkling, blood which was shed, not simply to make salvation possible, but that real, live sinners, like you and like me, might be sprinkled with that blood to make our salvation effectual and therefore bound to God under the blessings of the new covenant and so it is called then the blood of sprinkling now the second question what is what is the message of Jesus blood if the message of Abel's blood is a cry for vengeance it's that You'll remember there's a stanza, uh, it's from one of the hymns of the faith, uh, I forget which hymn it is, Abel's blood for vengeance pleaded to the skies. You remember singing that sometime in one of our hymns? Oh, I, I need, to, need to find what hymn that is. But the second line of the stanza there says, but the blood of Jesus for our pardon cries. Notice the blood of Abel speaks one thing, it's a cry for vengeance and judgment, but the blood of Christ is a cry for our pardon and for peace with God. Jesus' blood also cries out to God, but not for vengeance, but for expiation, for propitiation, for pardon, for reconciliation, for acceptance with God. It speaks now in the ears of God. And what does it say? It says that justice has been satisfied by Christ. It says sin has been punished. Wrath has been exhausted upon on behalf of all of the people of God. All who are sprinkled with that blood. That blood cries that all that it provided, procured and secured be made theirs as an eternal possession. So the message of Jesus' blood, his blood that speaks better things than that of Abel, is the contrast between blood crying from the ground for vengeance and blood which with every drop cries for pardon on the grounds of justice satisfied. On the grounds of righteous forgiveness. Equitable acceptance of a sinner in the sight of God. Question number three. What is the effect of the message of the blood of Christ? We saw that Abel's blood gave an efficacious cry from the ground. And brought God as it were out of heaven to take vengeance upon Cain. Do you have any question that the blood of Jesus would be any less efficacious, any less effectual than the blood of Abel, a mere man. The speaking blood of Jesus is effectual. It is efficacious to bring all the blessings of the new covenant to every single man, woman, boy or girl who who has by faith been sprinkled by that blood. And if we may Again, speak in material, physical terms. It's not literally sprinkled upon it. But if we can just simply envision it as such, it speaks to God. And what does it say? It says, God, you have bound yourself to give to that blood-sprinkled, hell-deserving sinner a heart to love you. You've given him a new heart. You have bound yourself to give that wretched, hell-deserving sinner your own self as his great and grand possession and to take him as your great possession. And you are bound in by the speaking voice of the blood of your son to give that sinner who is natively ignorant of you natively devoid of life and communion with you you're bound to give him heart acquaintance with yourself and forever to blot out and never to bring to remembrance any of his sins and his iniquity what a wonderful thing to have the blood of jesus speaking such things for me in the ear of of almighty God to have the blood of Jesus speaking those things for me but in the few moments that we have together I want you to look with me at the next verse in Hebrews 12 yes the blood of Jesus speaks better things than that of Abel but you'll notice couched in the context of that glorious declaration verse 25 tells us something and it tells us this See that you do not refuse him who speaks. See that you do not refuse him who speaks. Behind the speaking blood of Jesus is the speaking voice of Almighty God. And in this context referring to all that God has spoken in these last days through his Son. And there is the frightening possibility, indeed even more than that, there is the horrible reality that some could possibly sit under a sermon like this and hear the, the voice of Abel's blood cry for vengeance and know that God isn't playing games when he says, the soul who sins shall die. When that innocent blood was swallowed up by the earth and the earth echoed its voice into heaven and God came down and that voice was efficacious to the extent that a curse and banishment was pronounced and effected upon Cain. My friends, don't refuse this one who speaks from from heaven. It is God who speaks in these great realities. And he says to all of us in our sin, in our guilt, in our uncleanness, indeed in our defilement, in all of our guiltiness, in all of our ignorance, indeed in all of our estrangement, in our rebellion against God, he says, In my Son, I have made an adequate provision for all and any and every single sinner who will come and be sprinkled by the blood of my Son. God graciously invites everyone, boys and girls, men and women, to come to Him. Here is my Son, God is saying, and through His blood, which has been sprinkled upon millions, and the mighty power of His Spirit has brought to pass, these wonderful blessings of the new covenant in the hearts of millions. He hasn't increased his heart even half a beat a minute by expending any energy that would ever exhaust him. Why? Because he is as fresh in the due of his saving power today, as though he had never exerted his saving power upon anyone. The plentitude of grace is in Christ. That's why the writer of Hebrews is saying, don't refuse him who speaks. Why would anyone refuse him who speaks, saying, come, come into the orbit, Of all of these blessings which have been secured by the blood of my Son, your sins will be pardoned. I will take your stubborn, proud, rebellious heart of stone and I'll give you a new heart of flesh that will delight to walk in and obey my commandments. God will be your possession and you will be His. And you will know him in all the fullness of his sin forgetting forgiveness. What a wonderful t- I don't know if you know, I think of some of my sins that are brought to my mind. I know I've been forgiven, but I wonder if I could ever for God can forget. He can forget as we cannot forget. And what is the alternative? It is to go on with a rebellious heart that will one day land you in God's junk heap of rebel sinners. That's a place that we call hell. To go on having the world and men's applause and men's acceptance, the acceptance of your peers as your possession, but to have God not claim you as his possession and in the day of judgment hear him say, depart from me, I never knew you. You're not part of my possession." Hell is God's reject heat. And I don't think that's what any of us want. It's described as a place of outer darkness, of weeping, of wailing, of gnashing in teeth. And you think to yourself, who would be so foolish as to sit here and think, oh yeah, that's what I really want. I'll take God's place of banishment for stubborn rebels. No desire to know the God who made them no desire to to go home and pillow their heads in the comfort that all of their sins have been forgiven you see what madness sin can be that holds people in its clutches see that you do not refuse him that speaks and if you refuse him in modern day parlance what will your backup system be if you refuse the god of the bible what is your backup system going to be? What will it be? What will it be? There is none. Because hearing the voice of the blood of Abel that spoke for vengeance, the efficacious voice that brought the judgment of God down upon Cain, having considered the blood of Christ that speaks, this blood that speaks efficaciously, effectively upon all who are brought into the new covenant, by being sprinkled with that blood. Why would anyone not want to run to Jesus, to run to Him, and by repentance and faith, go to the Lord Jesus and say, O Lord, sprinkle me in Your precious blood. Bind me to Yourself in all the blessings of the new covenant. I want God to be my God, and I want Him to own me as His own. So may God be pleased to open the ears of our hearts to hear the glad tidings of this blood that speaks better things than that of Abel. If the voice of the blood of Abel penetrated the portals of heaven with its cries for vengeance and retribution and judgment, then how much more may we, You and I as believers in Christ be disposed to believe that God will honor the appeals of the blood of his son. And the supplication of his blood to God for us are such that they cry not for vengeance and judgment and wrath as they might well have done. But his blood is the voice of justice satisfied, of sins purified by him and his willingness to forgive us all. You know, I see this thing, why I refuse him? And I look at those, that language and I say, you know, those are tender pleadings. Those are tender entreaties of pardon and peace and reconciliation for anyone who would be willing to be sprinkled with it. Indeed, the C.H. Spurgeon once said, It did not demand, as the blood of Abel did, fiercer vengeance than that which fell upon Cain. It did not ask that we might be driven as vagabonds and fugitives upon the face of the earth, and to be at last banished from the presence of God and consigned to hell forever. But it cried, Father, forgive them. And its plea, Spurgeon said, prevailed. Oh, to be able to pillow our heads tonight in the placidity of this calm assurance that all controversy between us and the God who made us has been resolved by the precious blood of his own dear son that speaks better things than that of Abel. May God be pleased to bless his word to the good of our souls this afternoon. Let's pray. O Holy Fathers, we bow in your presence. What thanks can we begin to render that you have sent your own beloved Son, the Lord Jesus, and that it pleased you to bruise him, and that by his bruising we might be justified. We thank you, O God, for your willingness to spare not your own Son, but to deliver him up for us all, and then with him grant us all the blessings that have been purchased by his death. O Holy Father, we pray that you would be pleased continually to open our eyes, and as we are witnesses to others, to use us to open their eyes to these events of the cross, that they may see the cross in the light of biblical revelation. And understand that even though it was your judgment upon sin, it became the basis for your forgiveness for sinners. Father, we pray that you would bless in this word to the good of our never-dying souls. And we ask you to do so in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.